like it doesn't matter here's the thing when I, when I seek out bad films I tend to seek out like bad films that I think I'll enjoy because yeah. they're so bad you know yeah. like um, like I don't know maybe like really bad black exploitation stuff or okay. just general kind of like ridiculous B-movies and I feel like Scottish film doesn't necessarily have a lot of those it's just bad badly made <laughs> films you know that's painful mm-hmm. to watch so no but anyway if we get around to that then I kind of picked mine on the basis of um, whether or not I'd, if I were to, to, to write or talk about them um, there'd be a lot of reason behind them because they, they tend to speak yeah or I mean even if they, they have massive massive flaws which a lot of these do or that they're painful to watch which certain of them are um, they have to be on there because they're doing something different yeah uh, absolutely absolutely I, I, the, the, I just came up with uh, the bad ones that I'd seen almost inadvertently like that Red Rose I've you've seen it it's the uh, yeah. Robert Burns film Oh, oh, no. They gave it away with the sun a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh no! Uh, but we saw it. Uh, I think well, that's how you know it's good. Well, exactly. They want as many people as possible to be exposed to, to it. its genius. And it, they're trying to play up the whole kind of um, man's a man for all that side of things, but uh, factually all over the shop. Um, often with street lights out the windows of the houses that they were filming it in. An appearance from oh, who was the woman that used to be in? Larry Grayson's Generation game Scottish lady oh she was a singer I can oh, see her face yeah oh gosh what's her name I can't remember what it come to yeah. she, she sings in it anyway and I, went, oh, I haven't seen her since I was a kid but uh, uh, not a Stewart <laughs> yeah, not a Stewart definitely not oh we can but dream <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh, the day Moira Stewart makes her glorious comeback uh, no, no. she's on Chris Evans show is that she is she? The breakfast. Yeah, she does the news and he takes the press out and be more of a It's an aim like that. But we're all good to go. Okay, so uh, as I say, we'll just kind of chat about. Um, well, are, you re- are you just ready to press start or have we started? We've started. Well, have we? That's great. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, this is the second Scotsway podcast. What a fantastic opening. I hope you can edit some of that out. This is the first Scotsway, the third. The second. This is the second Scotsway podcast. And this is the one where we're trying to deal with, come down to the five favourite Scottish films, at least amongst the three people in the room. Um, I'd like to introduce Kirsty Neary. Hi there. Who, um, well, Kirsty, she's a resident film expert, whether she likes it or not. Oh, not quite, not quite. That's why she's in. And um, what else are you doing at the minute? Um, well, I just graduated, so I'm kind of in that fluffy inner space place. But mm. um, I kind of I do a wee bit of work in my own writing uh, in my spare time, and I have a I have a novel coming out in about a month. Excellent. It's called um, It's called Abstract Concrete. It's by It's out on Whalebooth Publishing, and um, anybody who's been taking any interest in the events happening, not just in London but elsewhere, might want to check it out because some of the things are starting to scare me. Yes. Yeah. Um, but other than that, uh, watching and. Um, blethering about films excellent and when's it coming out sorry Um, it's coming out in about four weeks time excellent well we'll look out for that and Chris Ward is back hiya Uh, we'll recognise his voice from the last podcast if you listened and also from years on Subcity Radio if you listened to that Three years. Okay, and you're retiring <laughs> from that to set up a rival from... podcast? How dare you, sir? Well, I said a, rival, com- a complimentary okay, podcast. Excellent. Yeah, no, I did. Uh, I was I did left of the dial in Subsidy for the past three years. Uh, but uh, with t- 
time constraints with work and actual jobs and stuff like that uh, it's becoming impractical at this point so yeah hopefully getting a podcast up on the go for that at some point cool. and still doing a bit of writing on the side and stuff as well but anyway down to business and Ali's here of course oh yes right Ali, Ali uh, Braidwood is your genial host I am the host Scott Swayhe host for all of these podcasts so today the idea is blatantly stolen from uh, Mayo and Kermode who did the top 10 I think it might have been top 5 soundtracks film soundtracks of all time and the way they did it was everyone involved came up with the top 10 or at least 10 favourites rather than the top 10 and uh, it was whittled down to 5 after a bit of RJ and Bargy so that's what we're going to do today that's the idea we all have come armed with our uh, 10 films and uh, I think Kirsty if you would read us some of yours let's okay. go through the list that'd be good in no particular order yep. uh, I want to make a case for Young Adam right. Red Road Morvan Caller Hallam Full Comfort and Joy Breaking the Waves The Last Great Wilderness Shallow Grave True North and 20 Years of Alcohol excellent um what can we say Young Adam uh, well first thing I think to say is well maybe we should just get Chris to read yours we'll do that and then we'll kind of okay. talk about them all that might be an idea yes okay well uh, I have a couple of overlaps with Kirsty. I also have uh, Marvin Caller and Breaking the Waves but other than that mine are completely different uh, I have uh, the Bill Douglas trilogy uh, The Wicker Man uh, Stop Making Sense which okay, may be a okay. controversial one but I, I will <laughs> attempt to justify that right um, The Sweet Smell of Success um, the Edge of the World, uh, Gregory's Girl, uh, In the Loop, and okay. uh, The Body Snatcher. Damn it, I've forgotten In the Loop. It's an easy one to forget. But, um, right, yeah. so stop making sense, eh? Stop making sense, that's my that's my most nebulous, I would say, but I, I intend to fight its corner. Okay, well, my top ten are uh, Gregory's Girl, um, obvious, I know, but uh, Orphans, mm. Bill Douglas Trilogy. Um, I know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm. Oh, damn. Uh, <laughs> I was torn between that and the edge of the world. I kind of caught sight of your top 10. <laughs> 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 Stop. Looking at my yeah. list soon. And um, I put Tunes of Glory, which is something I almost caught up last year and I thought it was a fantastic film. Um, Restless Natives. It has to be on my list because certain people will not be pleased. You know who you are. Um, uh, I've got Young Adam as well. Uh, it was either going to be Young Adam or Train Spying. And I just thought, well, I enjoy what just enjoy watching Young Adam much more. Um, the Wicker Man. Now, here's the thing: if we are going to say more than one director in the top five, then I will say Whiskey Glower. Okay. But I did have Local Hero in as my second Bill Douglas. But I think we're really, if we're only going to have five final films, we can only go one director. I think. Mm. I think so. So I'll say Whiskey Glower. And then ten is the oh no it was the prime of Miss Jean Brodie and then you mentioned tenuous <laughs> Scottishisms so I've gone for the sweet smell of success oh. I mentioned that as well yes. oh, did you is that one yeah, of yours that was one of mine oh sorry I'm not listening yeah. not listening closely <laughs> enough I really love the fact that none of us have, have um, selected Train Spotting that's yes because it's an enjoyable film don't get me wrong but it's way 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 too obvious yeah. it's just um, every time it comes up somebody will always do that it's shite being Scottish speech especially if they've had a drink or two and then yes. you forget what the film was about in the first place you forget what a revolution the book was in the first mm-hmm. place and then you're back to square one um, oh, yeah, absolutely I mean I think it's, it's a, it, looking at it now 
it's it's an overrated film. I mean, mm. it's an enjoyable film, you're right. Um, and partly it's become cliched, not because of what it did, but because of what came after it. It influenced so many filmmakers. Basically, if it, if it was uh, anti capitalism, anti-commercialism, what it's done is it's sold Scotland mm-hmm. another version of itself, which then gets reiterated back. Yeah, it's, it's in posters, it's in those those um, CD soundtracks, it's in, again, that uh, that drunken speech, that, that bell out of, it's right being Scottish. Yes. And that is what Scottish film has come to be seen as. If there's any, if there's ever going to be any forward movement, we've got a, in the same way that Scottish reels insisted we slough off Tartney and Kilyard. Mm-hmm. New, the new Scottish cinema's got to slow off train spotting yeah, which is a shame absolutely. but it's got to be done yeah it, it doesn't have to be done completely but mm-hmm. it has to be done to the extent where you're not just having the same grim desperation every time which mm-hmm. is I think why some of our films are quite interesting because they try and avoid that did you consider using the train spotting I considered train spotting but again I'm not sure how much that was like lingering affection because I haven't actually watched train spotting I think since I was a teenager mm-hmm. and uh, obviously like when you're a teenager it's the perfect film for when you're like 17 and pissed off and again in that kind of like it's like being Scottish frame of mind um, because it's got that energy about it and it's got the cool soundtrack and it's got it is like quite different from a lot of what else was going on at the time you know for all this kind of subsequent influence it is quite different but um, I think my, my main problem with it is more like that all of its problems that you can maybe have shrugged off at the time have then gone on to clearly become stuff that's recurred throughout Danny Boyle's career and you can't maybe write them off quite so easily like he just cannot end the film like mm-hmm. the way that Trainspotting kind of tails off when they head down to London uh, is the same way that like Sunshine kind of tails off when the, the, the supposedly dead pilot reemerges and stuff mm-hmm. and everything starts to go a bit apeshit and um, it's just and 20 just, days you have a song and dance routine yeah, that's exactly, how you do yeah. it he's learnt finally exactly yeah where, where was Renton doing his, his Bangra <laughs> routine at the end of Trainspotting and that's what I want to know but uh, yeah no, so I did consider it but uh, ultimately uh, no I think enough's been said about Trainspotting Mm. That's, that's why really I put Shallow Grave the, in because I thought yeah. that the Shallow Grave was really really fresh it had that absolutely I, I will always remember the opening sequence being really vibrant you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of tugged in uh, down through the Edinburgh streets and then you're planted in an Edinburgh apartment and it's it's harsh and it's hilarious yeah. and it's nasty and they, you know the narrative as it progresses is increasingly nasty There's, it's twisty it's turny mm-hmm. it's um, it's blackly humorous and it, it's not um, it's not bombastic about its own Filmmaking style in the way that Trainspotting often is. Yeah, I, I agree. And having watched it again in the last couple of years, I'd actually forgotten just how nasty it is. I mean, mm. it's, it revels in it. I love that. Uh, um, I, some people will know that my thoughts on Ewan McGregor, but he he's not the best actor in the world. But mm. when he plays, you know, these kind of sleazy slightly awful characters that's when he does them really well oh totally it's a total transformation it's bizarre exactly and I think that would be good to move on to why you chose Young Adam because I've got Young Adam in my list as well well we're all into books as much as we're into films and Young Adam struck me as one of the most bizarre selections for an adaptation because it's it's a Trocky novel Trocky was a anti-nationalist he was pro-European it was, in fact you know he was anti pretty much everything yeah, yeah, apart from Trocky himself yeah. um, and to, to a few of the reviews I was reading was um, how can you make a narrative about a self-obsessed um, self-immersed character as um, amoral 
as Jill, that's uh, young Adam's titular character for mm-hmm. those who are misled by the title as I was. Um, how do you make that watchable? And uh, Mackenzie does. It's just, it's it's like a spell. Mm-hmm. And um, I love how it inverts certain kind of paradigms of, of, of the Scottish landscape, like um, yeah. the Highlands and the Clyde side and the canals. They're not a site of splendour. Yeah. They're a site of um, just really, really dreadfully bitter sex scenes mm-hmm. and um, murder obviously yeah, uh, without giving too much away of the plot and um, uh, uh, they kind of camp- Mackenzie camps up a wee bit as well mm-hmm. oh like, yes um, without a doubt with uh, the character of Les who's a cuckold um, kind of seen playing as, as could have been a banjo for all we knew um, uh, by the Clyde side and um, washing uh, Joe's back of coal dust and all this really quite homoerotic stuff going on in the supposedly hard bitten Glasgow male mm-hmm. uh, kind of location and um, it doesn't it doesn't bang about it doesn't make a song song or dance about the demise of Clayseyism it, it kind of um, I think at one point uh, Joe denies quite vociferously being working class or having mm-hmm. any kind of working class pride yeah um, and it's almost like the whole idea of pride is an anathema to him you know that's he again a bit like Trocky mm-hmm. Joe's he's for, for himself yeah, it's a, it's a really, really subversive film as much as it was a subversive novel. And yeah. you, you find yourself sympathising with and being horrified that you're sympathising mm. with this dreadful character, this murderer and beater of, of women. And um, I think the way that um, the, the, it finishes, where there's a, a kind of an almost but not quite confession, it hints at redemption but doesn't yeah. answer that need. And it's with that that it closes and it, it leaves you with a... a Proper chill. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's really. It's, it's an important novel. In ter- it, it's an important film, rather, in terms of um, acknowledging Scottish literature, mm-hmm. um, in terms of acknowledging Scottish history, and in terms of acknowledging Scottish cinema's history. Yeah. Whilst refusing to subscribe to any of the tropes. Exactly. Associated with it. I think for me, it's it's beautifully shot, mm-hmm. and as you say, the way they use, particularly the canal scenes, um, places in Glasgow which aren't stereotyped mm-hmm. uh, in, in other films. Um, and yes, there's this beautiful, for me, a really kind of, the saddest relationship is between the two men because there's a tenderness there and a kind of almost need for friendship mm-hmm. that that is, when that is destroyed, it's the kind of saddest part of all for me. That might just be uh, me, but uh, it's, uh, and it's be- it is beautifully played by the, by the two actors as well. Oh, definitely. But you, you do uh, it, it, it kind of cuts back constantly, despite having um, watched uh, Les and Ella having sex and, mm-hmm. and um, kind of helping Les out and doing the whole kind of, or at least trying to do the manly let's go to the pub thing. Joel is totally immersed in his own reflection in his little pocket mirror. And when he throws that away, he's kind of, he's throwing away any self-recognition. He's just doing his thing, shutting the door, yeah. closing off. And... Um, I think that's why the, the the landscape as it's shot is so harsh and mm-hmm. so it's all these very very chilly greens and greens. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And um, it's just it it feels friable. Like if you were to touch it, it would burst into yeah, that's into really dust. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exactly. It looks like something aged about yes. it, and it would crumble in your hands. That's true. So in that in that respect, it's fantastically evocative of of, of Joe's state of mind if he has one. Yeah. Um, thoughts on young Adam, young Chris. Um, I like Young Adam I, I don't know if I, I like it quite as much as the DU because it, it, it does have that kind of chill about it that kind of distances the viewer from it I think still uh, I think 
like I was saying about Peter Mullen last month I think Mackenzie does have a masterpiece in him I'm not sure that he's made it yet like, mm-hmm. I, I do really like Young Adam uh, but I'm not sure that I don't like it enough for it to be in my 10 sure is is what I'm saying but no no, not disparaging in any way no no, no I'm just, still I'm just interested your yeah, thoughts no. absolutely um, Red Road was one that I was going to put in and I just purely out of space didn't but again is uh you're saying in films that are not an easy watch and it, mm. it's not an easy watch but uh, it's a tremendously powerful film mm. um, mainly I would say for the central performances more than anything else I've not seen Kate Dickey in anything else and she should be she's, yeah, she's she a star in the making absolutely um, I've only seen her in theatre and she's always outstanding on stage uh-huh. no she's definitely got this um, uh, harshness about her but this this, this soft core yeah it's a Fragility as well. Mm. Um, I really had to have Red Road in there because um, Scottish cinema really lacks any convincing performances of uh, female subjectivity and I thought that that was done mm. phenomenally well in Red Road. Yeah, a good point. Um, right, Chris, one of yours. Give us one. one. Mine. Uh, well, I do one that we have... Uh, all looked all at, or, or at least uh, touched upon one of the times. Right, well, uh, Marvin Caller then. Let's go yes, Marvin let's talk Marvin yes. Caller because um, I haven't got that one. Yes, uh, you were saying last month again talking about Peter Mullen. You uh, made, I think, made the claim that he's maybe the most interesting filmmaker that Scotland has just now. I would make that case for Lynn Ramsey. Yes, although that's she, true. Although she hasn't been active for about, although that's I know she has. Exactly. We need to talk about Kevin coming out now. She hasn't been. I mean, Marvin Caller came out what two thousand two. So you're mm-hmm. talking about a nine year gap at this point. She premiered. We need to talk about Kevin at Cannes this year, so that's near enough—a full mm-hmm. nine years that she's been away. I think she tried to make the lovely bones, and I got that snatched away from her by Peter Jackson, right. which was mm-hmm. a shame because she'd been such a better fit for that than, than Peter Jackson ever could have been. But uh, both of her films—I mean, I put Marvin Caller in here; it could just as easily have been Ratcatcher because mm-hmm. I think both of them are stunning and incredibly cinematic in a way that you don't often get from Scottish film I think with Scottish film the focus is quite often on the performances yeah. the, the, the writing but she has a real kind of cinematic eye you know mm. it's a real kind of artist's eye that Lynn Ramsey has and not in every aspect of it not just uh, like the framing or the editing but the colours uh, mm-hmm. or, or soundtrack work and stuff as well the way on uh, in Marvin Caller where the, the mixtape that Marvin's boyfriend has left for it is yeah. You know, played all the way through, and you have you know the headphones coming on and stuff like that, and that kind of sense of isolation. And to be totally <laughs> superficial about it, it's just a cool film. Like mm. Marvin Caller is just an incredibly cool film. Um, the performances are great, and it's you know really evocative, and it looks beautiful. But it's just a genuinely cool film. <laughs> yeah. the and again, in a way that you don't really get coming out of Scotland too often, because I mean, you know, you have like so many. As you say, genuinely cool, like people, you know, in the Scottish art scene and stuff like that, and it tends to get filtered out by the time it comes to the cinema screen. You know, you don't get that kind of same kind of hipness that you would get from like a chemical underground in music or something like that okay. reflected in Scottish cinema. And I think she definitely caught some of that uh, in, in Marvin Coward. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. And I think it's not so much the dialogue, but it's the lack of dialogue. It's the way that it, it, she allows the silences to happen, she allows the music to kind of sink in. And, uh, in a similar way to Young Adam, I think you're right. The kind of palette that both filmmakers use is one which is unusual in Scottish filmmakers. No, if this, if um, Marvin Keller were a Hollywood film, you'd have the kind of the 
the noirish voiceover kind of yeah, explaining yeah, yeah. Morgan's thoughts and her feelings and yada yada but because it's it, it's shot so either tightly or expansively there's a lot of um, uh, Ramsey uses this in quite a lot of her work it's where you the camera's way back and you see a door and the door kind of frames the action so it's like a frame within a frame mm-hmm. and you see flashes of a, of, a, of a body or a person kind of moving back and forth in this case I think it was um, Morgan's kitchen in her flat with the dead body of her boyfriend yeah. lying in the doorway um, and that kind of the, the tight or the, the distant framing really denies you access but you can put these little pieces together yourself mm-hmm. and um, as the film progresses that kind of opens out and moves from the, 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 the chill and the tightness of the flat to the expanse of the, the, the Spanish landscape to yeah. the, the kind of the, uh, the horrors really of um, a, a kind of Magaluf-esque yeah. apartment block and um, the whole way through you're kind of you're getting to know Morvan, but you're always denied complete access to her interior because you, you don't understand why she no. doesn't report the, the death of her boyfriend. You don't understand how she can so easily take his work and pass it off as her own, and that's what makes it, as you were saying, such a damn cool film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it doesn't feel the need to explain. I don't bit either does the novel. Yeah, apart from the last chapter, which I have a bit of a favourite, but um, that yeah, there's, there's no need to say. Well, this is this is what Morgan's feeling about this. You're absolutely shut off, and so you just have to kind of just have to watch. Mm. It really is a sense of watching, which sometimes yeah. you know you get this involvement, but it's a different thing. And the move in terms of temperature on screen from Scotland and Oban to to Magaluf, as you say, it's I think it's Ibiza, or maybe in the, certainly in the book, I think it is. Um, and this you know full uh, blown searing heat with the bit where the two of them are walking through the desert it's just, you yeah. know you you feel it definitely I would say this much for it as well this is quite specific uh, in terms of accolades that you could bestow upon a film but I don't think any film from anywhere in the world has ever better caught that feeling of like the kind of the days around Christmas and New Year where everybody comes home and okay. you know you've got the parties going on and stuff like this you know you have the New Year's party it's people that you maybe went to school with that have moved away or something like this but it's that feeling of being like reunited with people that you haven't seen for years and everybody being back in town uh, you know there's the bit at the start where they're all at the house party and mm. there's like the fire outside and stuff like that and I think that in particular that is like for me anyway that's what Scottish New Year is like yes. <laughs> you know, yes. instead of like away from all the kind of the tartan image of the first footing and you yeah. know stuff like this uh that that for me is what I think of when I think of New Year's that I've spent with friends and uh, it's the only film I can think of that's captured that mm. that's a good point well so uh, Modern Caller that's a good shout that is a good shout um, I think you put The Wicker Man in I did put The Wicker Man uh, in I put The Wicker Man in so well, let's talk a little bit about The Wicker Man I, I it's, a, it's a film I just love I'm not going to pretend that it's any kind of great artistic film but um, there's, it's a truly horrific film that is so light hearted in tone that it just yeah. is, is brilliant it, 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 it's a simple, simple thing of having the burnt oh, let's not give away the ending yeah. shall we well you know the ending well, the, the cover, I think everyone knows the it's on the, the DVD yeah, it's on the, the ending, ending. Yeah. the burning at the end yeah. in broad daylight the truth yeah. to have that is so kind of subversive but so simple yeah. is brilliant and the genuine creepiness of the, the kind of uh, characters in the village and um, against Edward Woodward's stoic uh, Presbyterianism, I think, yeah. is fantastic. Well, that's it's a, camp as hell as well. Great, I mean, it really yeah. is. 
but that's the thing it's not really a horror film until the very end you know up until that point if you hadn't seen it before and you didn't know what was coming it is just a kind of very dark culture clash comedy where you've got you know this kind of as you say the very story Presbyterian up against the kind of the 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 hippie, free-loving pagan, <laughs> pagan islanders, you know? They're, they're jumping through fires naked and uh, tying frogs to nails under our beat. It's a beetle, isn't it? It's a beetle. It's yeah. in a little girl's desk and, you know, perform fertility rituals and all this kind of stuff. And up until that point, it is, as you say, so light-hearted and so kind of funny and weird and just kind of... I mean, it's deeply strange, but it's, it's not in a kind of necessarily unsettling way until you know what it's building up to. Yeah. Until you know what's going to happen at the end, uh, and that's when it's frightening. When you realise, you know, just that an entire town could conspire to just make someone disappear like that, you know, or it could, you know, it's have that level of control over someone's actions, you know, and and lead them to a fate like that. Um, that's when the kind of the horror kicks in. But uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I love the liquor man to like an uncontrollable extent. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> like, uh, like if we were ranking it. I would be very hard pushed. <laughs> you didn't have it as your number one. I didn't have it as my number one. It was through. It was through an unnecessary amount of restraint. It had to be exerted to keep me from putting it at number one. I love it so much, and I think. I mean, I don't care about the fact that it's exploitative and in no way representative of what goes on in the islands. I don't care that that doesn't happen. I don't care how you can. Surely you would have to be mad to think Exactly. That, uh, I don't care how borderline offensive it is in, in suggesting that all this kind of stuff still goes on in Scottish islands or, or did still go on in the 70s. It's just an insanely entertaining film. Yeah, and, I uh, it's just, it's just it. so unique. You know, yeah, there's nothing else out there like even though I know the ending's coming I still yeah. love it and, love and of the, course it led to the, the glory that was uh, the remake of The Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage which now means a film exists where you can describe its climax as Nicolas Cage dresses as a bear and runs about an island punching women in the face while screaming about bees you know I mean who wouldn't want to see who that who wouldn't want to see that who, want, who wouldn't want to see Nick Cage drop kick Lily Sabisky I mean honestly yeah. have you yeah. seen have you seen the remake of The Wicker Man I have and <laughs> it is truly awful yeah. see we were talking about bad films like, oh, our worst ones that's the kind of bad film I like it's the kind of film where it's yeah, so but massively terribly bad that yes. you kind of begin to wonder what were they thinking as it says in Monty yeah. Python it is silly let's tis not silly. talk about exactly. it anymore yeah. exactly so uh, I think um, I'm not even watching what time it is but it might be time to talk Bill for Sack yes oh why not yes okay I've gone Gregory's Girl because I love it um, you've gone I've gone for Comfort and Joy Comfort and Joy which I also love I've also gone for Gregory's Girl Yes, well, I could have, I think probably all of us could have, I did have Local Hero as well, but then I decided, let's just have one of each. Um, it really depends on the date is which one I love most, I think. You know, I do love Gregory's Girl, on the whole, I think it's one of the greatest films ever made, but then I can kind of think almost everything he did, certainly in terms of what he did in Scotland, are some of the greatest films ever made. I agree, I was... Um in two minds about comfort and joy when I first saw it because mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for the underbelly I was looking at the uh, oh this is a wee bit camp kind of thing yeah. and I I had to stop and go back and take a look mm-hmm. at it and I just thought it was a such a beautiful portrayal of, of isolation and the everyman mm-hmm. you know because you, you're, you're used to seeing Scottish film heroes being either brutes or heroes yeah. and you never see just an everyman like Dickie Bird just doing his thing trying to keep a, a, a radio show afloat always 
on his own. Mm-hmm. Even when even when he's with his his partner at the yeah. start, she's running through the shopping mall shoplifting. He's just putting her along, wondering whether right whether she had thought of buying onions. I think it was for the Christmas dinner. Yes. <laughs> and then she up and leaves him. Yeah. To this in a scene flat. which is amazing. That scene where he suddenly dawns on him that she's as leaving. a piece of acting that she's leaving is just incredible. It's just it's the little things later on that um, they're not so much that they are visuals. Things like um, he comes home to his strip beer empty flat, which is apparently reflective of his strip beer empty personality, mm-hmm. which I don't think is true. No. He lies on he lies in his bed sipping whiskey um, and realises that underneath of the bed is just full of stuff that his lover's left behind. Madeline. Yeah, Madeline, yeah, Maddie. Maddie. Um, And the penultimate scene at the end where it's Christmas Day and he's sitting down a radio morning show sipping his wee wee whiskey and eating his tiny bit of cake and wishing well to the rest of the country. That's right. I know, it's heartbreaking. It's it's Bill Forsyth's most adult, if you like, film because it really does deal with uh, um, loneliness beautifully. Absolutely so sore and so sweet and uh-huh. you can't not like that film you can't not want to reach in and give him a wee hug and exactly. say cheer up and the, it is overshadowed by the kind of ice cream war um, plot on this on the side a little bit you, that's where a lot of the comedy comes from obviously mm. and Forsyth said you know he genuinely when he first started writing this that he did no idea that the ice cream wars were such a brutal and terrible thing he, he genuinely thought it was about ice cream um <laughs> Which kind of says a lot about Bill Forsyth, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Comfort and Joy? I, I, I think I have a kind of similar opinion to you and Forsyth in that like, there's very little to choose between like his peak work. You know, his mm. Scottish films are all kind of off comparable levels of quality. But I do... I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Comfort and Joy, but uh, I, I just think it's, again... It's just, it's, it, above all else, it's like it's a showcase for Bill Patterson, yeah. who mm. is just such a consistently undervalued actor. Mm-hmm. You know, and... He's one of these people who, like, you kind of feel should have had a breakout, like Robbie Coltrane did or yeah. something like this, and have, like, a, you know, a kind of a career as a go-to kind of Hollywood character mm-hmm. actor or something, you know, like Coltrane or Brian Cox or somebody like yes. that, because he just has this great presence, this very reassuring kind of mm-hmm. quality, the very, a very fatherly kind of quality, you know, even in something like Comfort and Joy, where obviously he's completely single and unattached and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but, yeah, it is, I don't know, maybe I'm just being coloured, because, like... It, to me, my, his definitive part is is in the Crow Road. You know, is is Kenneth McGowan in the Crow Road, um, and that's coloured him as like a kind of fathery kind of figure on screen okay. for me. But uh, I, I, again, it's the kind of thing you can kind of take him for granted a, a lot of the time because yeah. you know he turns up. He's was he? What was the the TV show that he did? The the paranormal thing that he did. Oh. On City of Souls, is that right? Sea of, of, of Souls, Sea of Souls, you know, yeah. Again, it's clearly just like a kind of taking the work kind of thing. And, you know, you'll always be good at a base level, but when you see Bill Patterson get that kind of that kind of part, it's just, it's, it's a great thing to behold. Yeah. Because he, he will go for it full pelt and really fully... The first thing I remember seeing him actually was in the second series of Avidazine Pet, <laughs> where he played a character called Ali Fraser, who was a gangster who had stuff out in Marbella going on. Right. And he plays this real kind of permatan gold jewellery. Uh, but he does it really well. But it's yeah. not the kind of character that we, we kind of associate him with now. Yeah. He was in a film I watched just recently, a terrible film called The Match. But he plays that character where he's looking after a young Ian Robertson and get, and Ian Robertson's writing down all his sayings for him so that he uh, can keep a diary of his right. famous... And it's one of the best things in a terrible film. Yeah. Mm. 
Gregory's Girl. Gregory's Girl, my preferred Patterson. Yeah. <laughs> not Patterson, Forsyth. Forsyth, I was going for the alliteration there and it tripped me up. Um, no, I think while I'm Gregory's Girl is that it's a teen romantic comedy that actually gets it right and has all the details exactly spot on, it's not your kind of like American high school comedy where everybody's in their 30s mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, model beautiful and stuff like this. It's just average kids who are teenagers at the time it's being filmed, and it's one of the, I, I always wonder how Dragger's Girl plays to people from outside, like the west of Scotland, because it's so kind of. I think people. In a way, it's so kind of region specific, but universal at the same time. But there's so much that kind of that feels unique to like the whole kind of climate in new towns and stuff like this. And uh, it did well in the states. They yeah. had to. Yeah, it did well when it was first released. In fact, a. The cast had to go and redo the voices so they were understood, kind <laughs> oh, of redone. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it did. Well, I see well, and you know, not hugely, yeah. but I think that was the film. Well, that was the film that got the folk on board for local hero, the American folk on board for local hero, and then unfortunately, when he went away to America to do the stuff over there, and just just never yeah. quite captured it again. That's a familiar story. It is, yeah. It's unfortunate. Um, Gregory's girl to you. What does Gregory mean? Gregory's girl to me reminds me of being that age because um, I, I was probably that age when I first saw it and revisiting it was it was it's like going into a box of stuff of yours you haven't opened for a long time yeah. finding your old diaries and your old notebooks and photographs and notes you'd passed each other in class and just remembering I don't know it's pristine yes <laughs> yeah, the pristine rush of Gregory's girl there's a thesis but it is that. and I think that's why it's universal is because anyone who went to or you know, I'll say school in Scotland, but well, anyone who went to school knows that the, the the dynamics that are going on in there, whether it's between the teachers themselves, the teachers and the pupils, between the, the pupils who are of the same sex, pupils of the opposite sex, it's just all so beautifully observed. Again, for me, the, the best relationship is between Steve and Gregory, you know, and yeah. it's, I make you lovely, lovely things. Yeah. And uh, this great friendship that um, it's just absolutely natural. Filmmakers don't know how to portray or um, give voices to teenagers nowadays. It's all, as you were saying, very Americanised and very uh, absolutely hoaching with pop culture references that no average 15-year-old is going to have the brain space to accumulate. Exactly. Um, This has something that's it doesn't just transcend age it transcends time you know mm. it's 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 it makes you cringe for your 13 year old self yeah exactly it makes you laugh um for your 13 year old self and i'd love to show it to to, to somebody of this age of that age rather um right now and see yeah. if they still get a kick yeah because there i mean there are very very few um films that manage to do that you know they kind of one of my favorite american films um kind of doing that kind of thing is the breakfast club just because mm, i think yeah. it's still got that absolutely that that thing going on where you don't feel you're being patronised, you don't feel you're being sold something. Um, you're just you're just having a laugh. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's and a people, real, and you, there's a real the changes that happen are absolutely believable. There will be one minute you'll be cracking on to the cool girl, the, and then other time you'll be kind of you know punching on the arm and running away because you have no idea what to do. High school's like a world when you're that age. You know, it's yeah. that that is the world. You know, you've been thrown into a, a building with. 500, 1,000 people of your own age with all these different values and backgrounds and expected to get along. Yeah, what? exactly. It's madness. Well, that's the great thing about Gregory's Girl as well. I mean, even 
with something like The Breakfast Club you know you have like the kind of the set character types even though those are kind of broken down over the course of the film and everybody comes to connect and stuff you have like the jock you have the geek you mm-hmm. have you know the pretty the popular girl and stuff like this they have the rebel but with uh, Gregory's Girl it feels like there's none of that kind of strict divide you know I mean Gregory's a total nerd but he plays in the football team mm-hmm. and stuff and that feels like something that you wouldn't see in an American film in an American like teenage romantic comedy or something you know you wouldn't have like somebody that's as gangly as, as Gregory you know and kind of just generally kind of awkward and shuffling you know playing any kind of sports or something they'd be stuck he'd be getting stuffed in a locker or something like that or yeah they do like their know. phenotypes over there yeah but hey um, so let me briefly talk about a local hero and that's in feeling because that's I, I could have had all four in my, my top ten films yeah. yeah probably could have had all four I, I love local hero as well um I just don't quite like it as much as Gregory's Girl and Comfort and Joy and that's why I was really pleased you picked Comfort and Joy because I think that often gets overlooked because you have local hero and Gregory are the kind of two uh, set texts if you like yeah and that's thinking feeling just for a debut film to just have such um, balls to let unknowns run awry in it I think it's fantastic as well um Right, let's move on from that bill and I'll talk briefly about another bill, Bill Douglas Trilogy. Yes. Um, I don't know, this might be something not many people have seen. It got a re-release, um, BFI re-released it last year on DVD and if you can get a hold of it, I, w- I would. It is, again, it's not easy watch. No, it's something that you really have to track down and be interested in film for its own sake to yeah. see, but it's so worth it. Absolutely. Um how to, how to describe it? It's it's a trilogy. It's a trilogy. It's um, autobiographical. Yeah, a, a kind of beginning of the life in Ayrshire. It is Ayrshire, isn't it? I think so. My childhood. Yeah, that's right. And um, it's kind of small industrial town. Um, you know, you get the coal the coal heaps and stuff like this, and uh, just a hard like growing up with his brother and his gran in a tiny like single room, isn't it? I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's Desperate poverty. Yeah. Um, there's a beautiful scene where the young boy warms his grand's hands up with the, the hot cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just beautiful to done. And the whole, the, everything's shot. It's, a, it's an amazing trilogy. But the, I, I think the first one, the first two, were just so surprising for me that someone had made this. I'd never heard of it. Now, someone had mentioned it once and said, Have you seen the Bill Douglas trilogy? No. And I couldn't get hold of it. And then, so as soon as I could, sat down and watched it and just you know just went, this is amazing filmmaking this should be wider known yeah I believe it was the site of a lot of um, a lot of fighting and a lot of well, a lot of complaint as, as regards to funding for films in Scotland at the time okay um, I, I believe he'd applied for a grant and it was denied and he went out and shot it all kind of off, off his own back I could be factually erring on that basis but there, this is a a constant theme when it comes to Scottish film mm. Um Funding uh, and withdrawal of funding and uh, hands in pockets. Yeah. Um, and I think I think Bill Douglas could definitely have been said to have been a maverick, a, a kind of a, a forefronter of a lot of the independent backstairs ways that yeah. Scottish films get. That's why I'm always loath to um, overly criticise any film that gets made in Scotland because the very fact it gets made is just certainly a miracle, mm-hmm. absolute miracle. Um, I think one of the things I love about like, the, the trilogy in particular, but I mean, he's not a prolific filmmaker. He made like the trilogy and Comrades, which is also tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's set in Australia. That, that's another thing. But uh, one of the things I love about it is that he's 
so unashamedly like a kind of an artistically minded filmmaker you know there's mm-hmm. no pandering to any kind of commercial sense or anything like this it's like it's very much this is the film he wants to make and this is how he's going to make it mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of what does get cinema releases in Scotland tends to veer towards the crowd pleasing a little bit or something or we can sell this to people we can market this and this is very much like an art house film you know mm-hmm. I mean not in an, in an off-putting way there's not like a lot of you know pretentious symbolism or anything like this or any of the kind of you know uh, a woman in a kimono eating an apple in slow motion or yeah. something like this you know it's not it's not like any kind of ridiculously over the top art house stuff but it is very much committed to character and tone and uh, atmosphere and again like Marvin Cower not a lot of dialogue hardly you any know, hardly any uh, but just so beautifully filmed and uh, if we were as I say if we were ranking it that's what would have kept The Wicker Man off number one for me I, I love the Bill Douglas trilogy uh, absolutely uh, I think the closest thing probably the Scotland has to something like uh, the Antoine de Linnell films like the Francois Truffaut made mm-hmm. you know in, in terms of like charting well also because it was the same actor that he used for all three of them, uh, you know, or uh, was it the same actor that he used or did he, did he uh, use for it is the same one yeah, yeah. even in the last one he yeah. used the... uh, as he aged because you know, the yeah. films weren't made they, felt they were made concurrently yeah um and so the same way that like Truffaut used Jean-Pierre Leo and as he aged followed him in yeah. kind of these semi-autobiographical stories it is a similar kind of thing that Douglas did you know following his own actors as they aged um, through his own life in effect uh, and it's just an absolutely beautiful piece of work and again like we were saying last week you stand up against anything from anywhere in the world it's not good for a Scottish film it's good for any film I think it yeah. shows what film can do without having bells and whistles and just you know if you've if it looks great and you've got someone who knows what they're going to film, you really don't need you know, too much else. Not yeah. at all. Um, if only more people would <laughs> keep that in mind. Um, you said True North. I don't, I'm afraid I don't know True North. It's a film by a guy called Steve something, and I wish I could remember it and, or noted that down. This is going to make me sound like such a terrible resident expert. But um, it was a film I saw as part of my course. Um, okay. In film and television, and um, it's not attached to any particular landscape at all, apart from a brief stopover in Belgium. It's loosely based on a true story about um, a, a truck that pulled into Dover, was stopped and searched, and inside were something like 25, 30 dead Chinese immigrants. Okay. And the, the basic premise of the story is uh, a Scottish. Um, ship shipman um, skipper skipper mm-hmm. his son and his son's kind of uh, his other employee um, they're really really strapped for cash the fishing industry is going down the tubes as it is um, and they are offered some money in a port in Belgium I believe it is to ship over these these um, 30 40 uh, immigrants mm-hmm. and kind of tussling with their conscience for about five seconds they say aye um, and basically, the, the the whole thing is set on a ship thereafter. Mm-hmm. There's a power play between the the above stairs and the below stairs. Okay. Um, there's a great um, kind of comic uh, actor um, doing the kind of the dunce cook, who turns out to be the moral centre of the film. Because okay. um, he one of the one of the immigrants escapes, and there's a bit of a, a kind of do you want you know some food? Do you want some drink? Kind of thing. Um, and there's a shock ending which I probably shouldn't reveal no, but don't hey, reveal because I want to see it <laughs> um, 
but it's basically it's very very current because there, there's this whole issue of immigration and power play um, they're doing something really unusual and setting the whole thing on the ship uh, the, the, the way that the guy uh, made it was getting a, a real proper ship and shooting it um, on this uh, on the water instead of um, doing it in studio right. which really really adds to the effect Peter Mullen is in a great fantastic role oh um, wow he, he's kind of it's so strange what he does it's like um, he's camping himself up it's like he's he's taken the piss out of his own previous roles. Excellent. Um, and I, I I I can't really see much more with it given it completely okay. away, but um, it's definitely worth seeing. It's it's very very unusual. I thought um, in terms of what what's, what Scottish film quote unquote um, usually does with a a narrative and b a landscape mm-hmm. um, and c a moral dilemma. I will have to check that out definitely. I suppose we should start trying to come to some kind of arrangement for five uh, films. I'm not sure how long we've been going. But uh, we'll just briefly look at some of the other ones on everyone's list that have not been mentioned. You've got Hallam Foe. Yeah. Hallam Foe I did think was a great film, but again... I rent Young Adam over uh, for for that. I have a Mackenzie addiction. I won't apologise. No, that's fair enough. So do I. I think he's tremendous. And I... I, um, You've got Last Great Wilderness as well, haven't you? Yes, oh, just because, just because <laughs> film fans all over the listening public will be going, oh my God. No, but the, the great films and a bit like my Forsyth uh, addiction, I would have had all the stuff in. I could easily have had Mackenzie and Forsyth making up the majority of this list. Mm-hmm. So I had to fight not to do that. Um, and you've got... I've got 20 Years of Alcohol and um, Breaking the Waves, which I think Chris has also. Breaking I the do Waves. Have Breaking yeah. the Waves, uh, which I just rewatched for the first time in ages recently. And this is the thing you get a lot of stick if you're a Lars Lundgren fan for his uh, alleged misogyny. But I don't think anyone could watch Breaking the Waves and seriously suggest that he was taking any kind of pleasure in what Emily Watson goes through in that film. I, I think like he's very much on her side as someone who is at odds with the kind of the Presbyterian elders of the community uh, in that film again like you could talk about how Scottish it is because it's made by a Danish director stars Stellan Skarsgård and Emily Watson neither of them are Scottish but again filmed in Scotland set in Scotland Scottish concerns Scottish concerns very much the kind of the the Presbyterianism versus the encroaching modernity and stuff like this and different kind of values Um, and reaches a, a genuinely kind of transcendent ending no, yeah. one, of, one of the reasons I had to have that on there was, again, um, about female subjectivity, which I think Von Trier does spectacularly well, because um, mm-hmm. anybody who's familiar with the film will be familiar with the, the points at which Emily Watson's character, at Bess, um, gets to her knees in the church, talks to God and yeah. talks to herself. Yeah. And it's just, it's genuinely immersive and heartbreaking. You see pretty much the whites of her eyes the whole time she's doing it, when she's praying to God to save her, save her husband, fix the way that her life is going and um, he's very very unforgiving of as you said the elders they mm-hmm. are portrayed as harsh um, vindictive hypocritical empty shells really and um, obviously Bess is she's, she's not all there upstairs and um, she, she acts in ways that probably aren't recommended by the bible but she's doing this the entire way through because yeah. she believes that she's doing God's will um, yeah. And there are plenty of people that have done that, that yeah. <laughs> yeah. out of the ordinary. Uh, I, on a lighter note, actually, rewatching it, it was the first time I'd seen it since I found out that uh, 
my friend Anthony was actually in it as a child actor as one of the, the kids in the village who ter- ends up tormenting Bess okay. you know, the first time where she, she drives by them on her bike and they talk to her and go hi Bess how's it going and then later on they throw stones at her and go who's a slag who's a slag and I was watching I was this close to text and Anthony going you wee bastards <laughs> <laughs> leave that poor woman alone she's been through so much that's the power yeah. of the film though. Yeah. whether you're a male or a female or anybody with any kind of human yeah, feeling exactly, at all you're yeah. drawn into it and you're furious on Bess's behalf and you're yeah. upset and you you grieve at the end too I had totally forgotten as well about Udo Kier being in it and I thought watch I was like who can Udo Kier possibly be in this film and then of course it's this lazy distressingly disturbing boat captain the, the rape boat show, show we yeah. go, if you want to call it that it's like of course that's who Udo Kier would be in um, Trier film his best film for Trier not I quite not I don't quite. think so mm-hmm. I, I love Dogville mm-hmm. I love Dogville but uh it's definitely I mean I just say I love Von Trier overall so it's kind of hard for me to choose but it's definitely I think it, it's my favourite of his yeah. songs I think I think some uh, of them are you know too much too much, too much. yeah well they're, they're great films but they're too painful to watch more yeah. than once I think yeah. is the problem with something like Dancing in the Dark but uh, Breaking the Waves was apparently one of Martin Scorsese's top 10 films in the 90s for what yeah, that's worth good enough for Martin yeah exactly good enough for us I would say yeah I, I've got to I've got to speak up for Restless Natives okay. a bit of light heartedness it is it is what it is. It's a comedy um, buddy film, I suppose. Soundtrack by Big Country, all these things. Um, but it was just a, a childhood delight, and I still love it. It's still a film I probably would stick on in a rainy afternoon, and and I know every single word to it. Um, and again, you know, you're talking about the 13 year old you watching Gregory's Girl and thinking, we uh, used to watch it with my brother, and um, we still would get it out now to watch. Is it great performances? No, it's got some pretty ropey performances, particularly, oh, gosh, I've forgotten his name now, the uh, Liverpudlian actor who is the captain on the Titanic. And Bernard Hill. Bernard Hill plays the father, and it's the worst Scottish accent of all time. It's worth seeing to hear the Scottish accent of Bernard Hill. But um, it's got lots of odd little cameos. Um a Mel Smith turns up at one point which is quite bizarre um, it's just a, it's as you say you have to have to kind of have light and shade and it's my kind of lightness amongst the, uh, some more shady films if you like um, and I know where I'm going did you have I yeah, know where I'm going well see I was torn between uh, what my Michael Powell entry would be between I know where I'm going and the edge of the world because I think they're two Considering that they're both ostensibly about Scottish islands, could not be more different. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, and are of equal quality each other. Not in a not in a bad way. It's just the the fact that he's able to approach, you know, a subject matter that's not tackled that often. I mean, you know, the Scottish islands in Scottish film, you're generally talking about the cities being represented. Maybe the odd kind of Highland film, but the islands generally don't get represented that often. And for one filmmaker to be able to go back and come away with two completely different representations of them you know you've got the whole kind of the the very kind of romantic mythical version of this in I know where I'm going yeah uh, of the kind of the romance tent outsider coming in and then in the edge of the world the kind of the almost like still incredibly poetic and really beautifully filmed I think a very ahead of its time film in the way that it's shot and the kind of the editing techniques that it uses and the kind of the the cross cutting between time frames and stuff like that but all really quite brutal in its depiction of like the death of an island you know mm-hmm. of, of people having to leave this life that they've known like the only life they've ever known you know this society that's completely cut off from the rest of the world and then move out and just deal with the end of this way of life yeah 
but both uh, I think Edge of the World he made before it was his first kind of proper film as like an artist if you want to call it okay. inverted commas artist I think he made a couple of films before that as a kind of gun for hire uh, but this is like Powell's in a sense like his directorial debut you know as you know someone telling the stories that he wanted to tell uh, without Pressburger before he started making films with Emmerich Pressburger as well uh, which may have impacted that but I just think it's, it's a stunning piece of work and really again like with Bill Forsyth I could have had I could give a shout for either that or I Know Where I'm Going in there I, I, I chose I Know Where I'm Going partly because of the visual flourishes that it have it's got some really beautiful stuff in it see that ending shot it's yeah. just that, that stuck in my it's, it sticks in my memory now yeah. just um, yeah, as you were saying the islands they don't get the attention that they deserve but when you think about Scottish history and Scottish literature the, the island trope is used by so many different writers to so such brilliant effect. Mm-hmm. You know, the sense of isolation of being cut off of um, worlds within worlds of um, of invaders and uh, aliens and yeah. um, clashes of cultures. And, yes, yeah. and oh, the Wicker Man again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, it should be tapped into more often. Absolutely, I think. Uh, I think I think it's slightly changing. I think in terms of uh, certainly literature. Uh, um, the recognition of poetry coming from the islands is it's now beginning. It's nowhere near as it should be, but it's beginning to move and, and change. Okay. And I think there was a real uh, problem that people went, "Well, that's obviously it's going to be uh, Gaelic, and then you know, and um, that's it. We just don't deal with it." And I think for a lot of time that was a problem. Not anymore, I don't think. No, I believe. Um, I think Kevin McNeil has uh, annotated or edited an anthology of. Yes, of indeed. Uh, it's called uh, "These Islands They Sing." I think. Yes, yes. And um, I've read a a little bit of it and uh, fantastic poems there as well um, and really interesting introduction from Kevin uh, who has edited it um, right let's to business let's go for ones we've both we've all got on lists we've all okay. got a for sorry so it's really are we happy to go Gregory's bill I know I know okay, we're going to have to make some numbers. yeah Gregory's okay, girl. right so we have Gregory's girl. Uh, oh, I haven't even spoken about orphans, but never mind. There's a lot we haven't spoken yeah. about, but time is against yeah. us. So, uh, what other ones have uh, more than one of Bill us? Bill Douglas Trilogy. Bill Douglas Trilogy, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Okay, that's good. We two. Uh, more than one of us. We both had The Wicker Man. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm not sure. I know you're desperate to get The Wicker Man in. Okay. Let's, leave, let's put a wee question mark. Uh, and you and I have Young Adam. Also, Marvin Keller, I think we were all Marvin Keller, yeah. I think Marvin Keller might be a good shout. I'm yeah. happy yeah. to go with that, definitely. Um, what else did we have? Ali, me and you both had the sweet smell of success, even though we never talked yeah, about it. Yeah, I think. Nebulous it's, it's so nebulous. It's Alexander McKendrick wrote it and directed it. Yes. But it's, uh, it's an American jazz film. Yeah. Um, basically. It's a film noir. <laughs> it's a film noir, exactly. It's a tremendous film. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. It's fantastic. But for this sense, and that's why I'm not going to allow. Okay. Uh, stop making, stop sense. making sense. Is that purely He was born in Dumbarton. And it's clearly his artistic it's, vision that's driving the film. You, can, I know, you know, know it's one of my right, favourite right, films, yeah. but I think for, the, for okay, this film, it's good. Who knows? Yeah. Um, what else did we all have? Uh, well, the power uh, we both had. I know where I'm going. Yep. Or, or the edge of the world. So uh, something by Michael Powell. Okay. Well, I'm happy to go with either. What I know. Well, I know where I'm going to seem to be. I think. I think I'd have to go with that just purely for the the, the ending shot. Okay. And, oh, okay. For, that's we've got four. We, uh, we, we both had. We both had von Trier. 
Ah. Oh. We both had breaking the waves. So it's young Adam or breaking the young waves. Young Adam or breaking the waves. Is that really what it's? Oh my goodness. I. I mean, you really. I would. I would. I would say I would go with uh, young Adam. Purely because it's mere Scottish. Well, maybe I'm, I'm not trying to do that thing of being mere Scottish, yeah. but I, I. But then, I would if I was. If you give me a choice to go and watch a film next door now, I would go and watch an Adam. But then let, let's hear the other. Well, you want, yeah, you want to go on to or you definitely want to go on to <laughs> Well, yeah, as a total country or fanboy. But then that's the thing, like you say, if it did come down to what film would I go watch? And I think you really have to be in the right frame of mind to watch a Fontry, like any Fontry yeah, film, you know. But I don't think, in my well, mind, there's no question as to Von Trier being a better filmmaker than Mackenzie yeah, yeah no I think uh, I, could, I could go along with that maybe, yeah. maybe. I, I think Mackenzie still has time to prove himself. he does still have time to prove himself but uh, I would I would go for breaking the waves in that situation but I'm willing to be shouted down well but there's an easy way to solve this because yeah. someone's got them both on their list <laughs> <laughs> I and am, you are a resident film expert. I am a, a fan of Von Trier. I do mm-hmm. enjoy his films. Okay, or enjoy is a different scene. I can see that. No storming out. Yeah. I, I, I think just in terms of what Scottish films can do or should do, I think um, Mackenzie takes them, acknowledges them, and inverts them in a really skillful way. And for that reason, I would very much like Young Adam well, on the list. Okay, so let's go through this. We have one for Scythe, and that's Gregory. Mm hmm. Girl, I don't know why I'm writing this down. Don't need yeah. to. We have Bill Douglas trilogy, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We have um, I know where I'm going by Old yep. Burger. Um, we have Marvin Callow, Marvin Callow, yes. Lynn Ramsey, yes, and Young Adam, Mackenzie, and it's what strikes me there is proper great directors getting definitely their deserved choices. There's no rogue ones in our final five. So Gregory's girl. I know where I'm going. Bill Douglas trilogy. I've forgotten it already. Modern Color. Of course, it's not on my list. Yeah. Modern Color and Young Adam are. We think we have decided our five best Scottish films of all time, and I believe that means we can go and get a drink somewhere because our work here is done. Is Thank done. you for listening. Thanks to Kirsty Neary. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Thanks to Chris Ward. Cheers. And you'll be hearing him and I again in about a month's time where we're going to do the same gubbins. But about Scottish books, I think, is the next one. Books, the next one. So we'll see you then.